0: Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Is the air we breathe safe? You know, these days with pollutants, chemicals, even fog in the air, it makes you wonder if the air we're breathing in every day is as healthy as we think it is. If you've ever been somewhere where there have been wildfires, you know that smoke in the air can irritate people who have breathing troubles, even those who don't. Those with asthma, emphysema, COPD, and the like can often be affected by what they're breathing in the environment, and it can really change how they feel and maybe even results in having them have to take medication or try and deal with some of these different elements that they're breathing in. Here in the islands, we have some unique situations with cane burning and with other sorts of, you know, wildfires that occur occasionally. But there are also some other things that we might be exposed to that we might not know a lot about. And today our goal is to talk a little bit about what is a pesticide? What do these two things do to the body? And... How do we know if it's safe or not? Now, today I have, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Lee Evslin. He's a retired primary care physician who's lived and worked on Kauai since 1979. I won't tell you, Lee, I was seven. Okay, I told you. He's a board-certified pediatrician and former CEO of Kauai Medical Clinic and Wilcox Hospital. In 2016, he served on the state-commissioned Joint Fact-Finding Task Force. The task force was formed to study and report on possible health and environmental impacts of pesticide use by four seed companies and Kauai Coffee. Dr. Ebslin, welcome to the Body Show.
1: Thank you. It's my privilege to be here.
0: Now. You know, I just think, hey, we've got trade winds, stuff blows around, of course, we've got great air, and yet every once in a while, you know, you can see, even in the atmosphere with like VOG, for example, sulfur particles in the air. You breathe those in, a lot of people don't feel well, it causes them to have side effects or symptoms that brings them to my office or makes them not want to leave their house. That's sort of a natural phenomena. That comes from the volcano, and we can't really change the fact that that that's out in the atmosphere. But there are some other things that, that are being sprayed or done to help keep plants alive or to help grow crops. And those things may not be as good when we're exposed to it. These are called pesticides. Now, for someone naive to the concept of farming or someone who doesn't know what a pesticide is, what exactly is it? What, why do we use such things?
1: Um, <clears throat> there's several answers to that. For pesticides, just the term in general, actually means those chemicals that are designed to kill insects – and those that are designed to kill plants. Even though the plant ones uh, used to be called or are called herbicides, the term pesticide now includes both of them. Um, So these are a group of chemicals that are designed to kill or to harm living organisms from insects to rodents to unwanted plants or animals. Um, that's, That's what they're designed to do. That is what they do do. They're hopefully used judiciously But a concern that's been increasing is that not only may these um, have acute effects on people, meaning that you could get sprayed and be quite sick from it, but that chronic low-level exposure could also be of danger.
0: So, you know, if I'm trying to grow some kind of plant in my yard and I see that there's weeds growing all around it, then I would potentially use some sort of a... This is generally a chemical spray to try and get rid of the weeds while I keep my plant growing and healthy. If I'm trying to grow tomatoes or I'm trying to grow some sort of a crop or even just flowers, I have no green thumb at all. So I'm just guessing here. So if I'm trying to do this, I might use these to try and avoid having bugs come and eat my my plant or having some other weed grow around it. I might be using it with a good purpose on a small scale. Is this the same sort of thing that we're talking about might be used on a larger scale?
1: It is. I mean, everything's just a matter of degree. So, And in fact, what we're learning is that this issue of pesticide exposure is a pretty broad subject. It certainly includes agricultural spraying which is what created the why the task force was created to look at that um, but the result of agricultural spraying is that it uh, pesticides are in our food so that's become a bigger issue pesticides are used extensively in households both in the yard and in the house to get rid of insects and
0: like um, raid for example
1: like raid yeah We supposedly are using safer ones in the house, but one of the ones, for instance, that's gotten a lot of publicity recently is chlorpyrifos. And that was used in the household until around 2001 when they found that it was really dangerous in the household, and they've stopped using it. So we've moved on to other ones called pyrethrins, pyrethrins, and they are pyrethroids. They are considered much safer, and then the new research is showing us they're not as safe as we thought they were, too. So there's a constant balancing act with us trying to keep our environment um free of insects and bugs and the issue of the danger of the substances that we're using.
0: What sort of household products might have had the chlorophos in them?
1: Um you know this was before my research so I don't know the brand names of them. They were it, they were allowed to be used uh extensively before 2001. Like floor
0: cleaners or some other? No, they were sprays, basically. These were
1: insecticide sprays. Clopyrifos is an insecticide. I just don't know the brand names. I might be trying in
0: my house to get rid of the ants that seem to be taking over. And I would spray this around in the hopes that I wouldn't have ants anymore. And for some people, they may have routine. People who come to their house, exterminators who do spraying in the house, and so previously you could use the chlorophos, and now you're not allowed to do that. Yes. That's considered so not safe. Two thousand
1: and one, so. they took it out of household use, except in bait traps. In a bait trap, where it's not being sprayed, it was still considered safe. And part of that came from studies that were done in Columbia, uh, in Columbia, New York City. They looked at pregnant women who just lived in. In uh, apartments in New York City, and they measured cord blood, so babies were their babies were born they measured the the amount of chlorpyrifos in the cord blood and they found this alarming direct line correlation between amount of chlorpyrifos in the cord blood and decreases in i q and increases in tension deficit attention deficit disorders, um, increase in tremor permanent neurologic damage on MRI that correlated with these uh, levels in cord blood. So this was kind of the beginning of our understanding that this was a much more toxic substance than we thought it was.
0: So these women were living in apartments without even knowing it, getting pregnant, having children, right. and hoping they were going to have healthy children, right. and the result is that potentially their environmental exposure to these pesticides was changing the outcome of their of their child. Yes, exactly. And we could directly identify the levels in umbilical cord blood.
1: Yes. And this was considered a very elegant experiment because it, it was directly leveling um, measuring this level in cord blood. And I guess s-
0: elegant until, unless you're the woman who's having this child going, there's what in cord blood? I mean, that just sounds scary.
1: Yeah. And elegant is a word that
0: Uh, scientists
1: use to show how good a study is, it's certainly not elegant in what it was showing. It was um, quite disturbing and frightening.
0: So it wouldn't be something we could do a trial of now, because although this was a retrospective trial, they're looking at the court blood and then identifying future potential implications or, in fact, identifying these issues with children later on. We really couldn't replicate a study like this now. It probably wouldn't be ethical if we know there's harm done by exposure to something we can't really let people expose themselves to it without really fully disclosing what this potential is. I don't. I don't well, know of any pregnant woman that would say, "Yeah, let me be around this stuff." No, because, I, I wish know.
1: that was true, but oh. so, okay. um, clopyrifos is sprayed. So clopyrifos is uh, chlorpyrifos is a very controversial subject right now, uh, which we can get into. There was a request. Uh, during the Obama administration, the EPA uh, requests from the EPA that it be banned, essentially, that they uh, forbid it's, that it would have zero tolerance in food. The data behind that includes ongoing studies in agricultural communities, which we can talk about. It looked like this ban was going to go through, and then Scott Pruitt just recently overrode the EPA's recommendation to ban clorperifos, and so it is not banned and there is an ongoing study called the Chimaco study in the Salinas Valley in California which is showing exactly the same kind of findings that they found in Colombia so these are women currently uh, that were currently exposed to this to this chemical in the in this valley
0: if history if we don't learn from history it's bound to repeat itself. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio talking with Dr. Lee Ebslin. He is a retired primary care physician who has decades of experience taking care of people and keeping them healthy. And in the last couple of years, he has been really focusing on what's going on with our exposure to pesticide use and has been part of the State Commission on Joint Fact Finding Task Force. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about why we haven't yet learned, or if we know why we haven't yet learned from history, and what else can we do if we know that there's an exposure to something? How can we protect ourselves as much as possible? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
1: Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool.
0: Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Lee Ebslin. He is a former CEO of Kauai Medical Clinic and Wilcox Hospital who has now been focusing his time and effort on trying to help figure out what we can do about exposures to different chemicals like pesticides in our environment and how does this affect people's health. Now, right before the break, Dr. Ebslin, you were saying that although we learned a lot in this previous study done that led to decreased use of chlorophos in 2001 in Columbia. New York. We're now in the process of doing another study in Salinas, California, to determine if we're seeing the same results of exposure to this pesticide chlorophos, and if we're going to see, as you mentioned, decreased IQ, increased attention deficit, and tremors that might happen in young children that are born to mothers who have exposure to these to these chemicals so let 's presume that we 're going to find similar findings that these these children have a higher rate of these disabilities, shall we call it. What would be the next step
1: uh, so they uh, This study actually began in around two thousand, so they 've been following these children for seventeen years. This is a Chimaco study, so it 's just an ongoing study, and they did find exactly the same things they found uh, decreases in i q um, worsening. Uh, abilities in in kind of the social realms, increase in attention deficit disorders. Uh, I didn't see the measurement of tremor, which they found in in the York study, but uh, these other neurologic deficits, which are quite disturbing. So again, um, it looked like this ban was going to go through because this evidence just kept getting worse and worse, that this is a neurologic um, toxicant, particularly for the unborn infant. And if you think about the unborn infant, it has this, Rapidly, rapidly developing brain, and uh, it is susceptible to things that the mother ingests going into the uterus, into the bloodstream of the baby, and uh, and it uh, it takes lower levels of certain chemicals to make changes in a developing brain than it would in a well developed brain. So it's this that's the vulnerable period, particularly for this chemical, is these unborn babies. So they were seeing the same kinds of things. And they uh, it really looked like, and the EPA was recommending did recommend that this chemical no longer be used for agricultural uses for food agricultural uses, and as I said, just recently, the new head of the EPA, Scott Pruitt, overrode the epa 's own recommendation so from this uh, and this just happened june twenty seventh the American Academy of Pediatrics represents sixty six thousand uh, pediatric specialists in the country wrote a letter t- uh, directly to Scott Pruitt saying, we are deeply alarmed by you not listening to your own EPA. And they repeated all of these things that we've just talked about, that there are studies showing that there were these intellectual deficits in children that were exposed to this, other studies showing that um, water quality was unsafe in many regions because it was contaminating surface water, the chlorpyrifos, um, Further studies showing, which is interesting, that our food contamination with chlorpyrifos, because it's put on about 50 food products, um, is high. And they were showing that children and mothers were eating 5 to 11 times, uh, ingesting 5 to 11 times the amount of chlorpyrifos uh, in their normal diet that, that was considered safe by the EPA. EPA has levels that they would consider safe. So there's a food safety statute basically that says you cannot allow our food to become unsafe. And if you find reasons to show that it's unsafe, you need to do something about it. So what the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying is we're not looking, we're not obeying this statute. We're we're allowing our food to be unsafe. And And as as I said, they claim that they are deeply alarmed, which is pretty strong language for what's a pretty conservative group, the American Academy of Pediatrics, to use, that this chemical hasn't been uh, banned as the EPA proposed.
0: Now, if it's growing in soil the various food products that would be growing in soil that is being treated with this particular chemical, it's not like you could just wash off the fruit and it would go away. It might actually be in the food product itself. Uh,
1: you certainly can help yourself by peeling the outside layer whenever you can peel an outside layer and doing and washing as well as you can. So you can decrease the burden of all pesticides that are on food products. Um, but what they were reporting is that the kind of typical intake of mothers and young children was exceeding by 5 to 11 times what they would consider safe uh, in terms of an ingestion. So they're finding water quality is uh, leading to potential uh, exposures, food quality is leading to potential exposures. And then the final thing is uh, represented in this Salinas Valley study is if you happen to live in, in an agricultural area that is also spraying you have an additional burden, a, diff- a an additional exposure burden. So not only are you getting it in your food, but now you can be getting it in the air. Um, these chemicals can turn into gases and d- be distributed in gas form. They also uh, collect on soils. So if you have a dust problem, they can be adhering to the dust problem. An example of this is there was a Waimea school incident. There were three Waimea school incidences where there was uh, symptoms of poisoning in children, and they never did prove exactly what it was. But one of the one of the products they were worried about was chlorpyrifos because they were spraying about 60 feet from the open windows of this school. They stopped spraying near the school in 2008. All the incidences stopped. This is not to say that they've ever proved exactly what caused those incidences. But what was interesting is Three years, two or three years later, they did air s- sampling in the school, and now there was no spraying for at least 1,400 feet, and they still found chlorpyrifos in the school. In the so, air. In the air, yeah. So it it certainly can go off-site. And although they said, well, it's below the EPA a safe limit, chlorpyrifos is not supposed to go off-site. So somebody was breaking the law, so to speak, but proving who was that was, uh, it was something that never happened, but it isn't supposed to go off-site, but it obviously does –
0: I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio talking with Dr. Lee Ebslin, and we're talking about pesticide exposure. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other common chemicals that could potentially have impacts on health and what we can do possibly, if at all, to help really protect ourselves and our loved ones from having the detrimental effects that could take place with high levels of exposure. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
1: Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Kahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, Hawaii Pacific University, and Ulupono Initiative.
0: Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Lee Epsilon. He is a board-certified pediatrician who practiced primary care for many many years and he's now a member of the state commission on the joint fact-finding task force that really looked at trying to figure out our pesticide exposures going to be dangerous for people here in the islands. Now right before the break we were talking about the fact that chlorophos has been unfortunately available or or in the atmosphere of schools that should not have had it in the atmosphere spraying was not taking place within i think you mentioned over a thousand feet or so and yet it was still found now at the top of uh, the top of the show you mentioned there's another type of product that's supposedly a little safer uh pyrethinoids
1: so um pyrethrins pyrethrins are i'm
0: glad you can pronounce (laughs) it
1: there's pyrethrins which are from chrysanthemums so they were considered quite safe that's comes from a, a flower right you think a it's what natural could be sure. more safe than that and then pyrethroids which are synthetic substances that are similar to the pyrethrins which is makes up much of what we're spraying in our houses using for flea control on pets and of interest when we treat lice in children we use permethrin which is nix and so nix is also a pyrethroid so what happened is the organophosphates have been Accepted organophosphate is chlorpyrifos, is an organophosphate um, pesticide. It's being increasingly accepted that they're quite dangerous and that they shouldn't certainly be used, they certainly should not be used in households. So, pyreth- pyrethrins have um, taken over to a large extent in the houses. And there is growing concern about them, too. They certainly seem to be safer than organophosphates, but there is growing concern that they also may create neurologic difficulties. And the reason is these are all designed to be toxic substances. They work because they do something to a chemical pathway somewhere. So uh, pyrethrins affect sodium channels, and it turns out that uh, children and others are susceptible to those also being affected. And then the last, another piece of this, which you haven't, we haven't really covered. But when they, when chemicals do affect organisms, even if they don't affect necessarily humans, human cells, they may affect our bacteria. So there's increasing evidence that our microbiome is extremely important. That's our, the uh, bacteria that are our intestines, the bacteria on our skin, and even chemicals which are con- which um, chemical companies considered very safe, such as Roundup. Roundup is actually patented as an antibiotic and as a chelator, a metal chelator. Um, If it's patented as an antibiotic, it means it's having some antibiotic properties. And apparently, these antibiotic properties have never been that well studied, but there would be the at least uh, conceptual concern that these could be affecting our microbiome. And this is going to be a whole area of future research, I'm sure. It's not The research on the effect of the microbiome is not very extensive right now.
0: Well, it's up and coming. You know, we've seen studies looking at microbiome effects on... uh, physical and mental and emotional health. They've tracked microbiome changes with people who drink a lot of diet soda, and could that change the microbiome, cause you to crave actually more sugar in the long run. They've, you know, a lot of our immune system, people don't realize 80% of our immune system is in our gut. And so if you have altered bacteria in your gut, that should be doing good things for your body, and you've created some sort of change, whether it be using standard antibiotics and killing all the good bacteria, or whether it be some other ingestion of something that alters that, you know, that actually has serious implications for your health. When people talk about probiotics, that's trying to say, hey, we think we might be missing something in our gut flora that's supposed to be there. Let's take it in some sort of a form, whether it be natural like yogurt, or whether it be a probiotic formula. You know, I sort of feel like the the alternative medicine or complementary medicine community has been, you know, screaming from the rooftops, you have to be careful with your own bacteria. And conventional medicine, you know, what I'm practicing and what you've done for many years until you've kind of added that extra emphasis has been, oh, yeah, well, the bacteria in your gut are fine, don't worry about it. But now we're realizing how important that is. So if there is there is a potential that these types of pesticides and chemicals can alter the bacteria. You know, how many times do we hear about bacterial resistance to antibiotics? What about just changes in the morphology and the abilities of these bacteria to function? It just, to me, seems like it's a scary area that we need to research, and we kind of need to do it now.
1: Yeah, just to come back kind of conceptually, the whole concept. So prior to 2012, I was just a typically a typical physician in many ways. I I never particularly thought about the use of pesticides in the household or agricultural use or in our food. 2012, Merton Academy of Pediatrics came out with this um, over 20-page policy statement and then a, a technical report and then a shorter policy statement. And they basically said to us, Pediatricians, we know that your training was really just about acute poisoning, what happens when you get drenched with a pesticide. But we didn't train any of you to think about chronic exposure. What's the effect of long-term chronic exposure? And basically this paper was about chronic exposure. And what they were uh, describing was the literature about what is the effect of low-level chronic exposure that comes from our food, from the household use of things, from the yard usage, and from agricultural spraying. And essentially, it, the list of adverse effects is fairly long, but in general, it's increase in pediatric cancers, such as leukemia and brain, ca- and brain tumors, um, increase in neurodevelopmental problems, such as attention deficit disorders. And a very scary study was done recently uh, in California, again, by UC Davis, and they showed that Mothers, pregnant mothers, again, who lived within about three-quarters of a mile of spraying, particularly organophosphate spraying, had a 60% increase possibility of having a child with autism. And these are scary studies. And again, um, as physicians, we know you can always find a scary study. You can always find something that's going to make you afraid. And so as physicians, we tend to rely mostly on our academies, the American Academy of Pediatrics or the American... College of OBGYN to tell us what to worry about. So when, that, when the American Academy of Pediatrics reviewed all these and told us pediatricians... Time to worry. Yeah, time to worry. <laughs> time You're to like, worry.
0: wow, we've got I, to really take a look at this.
1: I I became concerned. And from that time on in my practice, for the first time, I started to say to Parents um you know are you spraying in your household? Are you spraying regularly? Are you spraying regularly in your yard? You know you might consider other things you might consider bait traps in your house instead of spraying extensively and up to that time in my own house, I was having quarterly spraying and so on being done and I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but I think it's time for us all to kind of wake up and think a little bit about this um, the kind of loose exposure. The casual approach we've taken to the exposure of toxic to toxic substances, particularly to children, and just one last comment on children, children are particularly susceptible to chemical toxic chemical exposures, and the reason is per pound they breathe faster than adults do, they eat more per pound than adults do they drink more per pound than adults do, and their skin area is more than adults so and their rolling around on carpets and putting toys in their mouth that may have uh, residuals of different chemicals on them. So children are particularly vulnerable to different chemicals.
0: It kind of makes me think back to years when we used to use lead paint. You know, that was something that when I was in medical school, we were doing all of this testing of children for lead because we knew long-term exposure could actually lead to negative consequences. I think about the water in Flint, Michigan, that was dealing with all of the issues regarding the lead in the pipes and how we know this can have long-term implications with high levels of lead. And it was something that, you know, 50 years ago, we never even considered. So this seems to be the challenge of our generation— we're, we're choosing these pesticides out of convenience. We want to grow more crops. We want to go ahead and have, have more available food for everyone. And yet, and clean houses, no bugs. Yet that may be the very thing that's affecting us that I often wonder 20 years from now, are we going to wonder why we were spraying chemicals at all?
1: I think, I mean, look at our health right now. We are, we are one of the heaviest nations. We are probably the heaviest nation. We are... The, have, our people are heavier than they ever have been in history. Essentially, we um, chronic disease is rampant. We have increases in autoimmune diseases. We have increase in childhood illnesses or childhood disturbances. If you think about it, autism is skyrocketed. Part of that skyrocketing is most likely because we broaden the definition, but there certainly seems to be an increase. Um, but even more prominent is really things like these attention deficit disorders. As a pediatrician in the later years of my practice, as opposed to the earlier years, it was quite obvious that we something's going on. I believe um, on that subject, there was a recent convening of experts from around the country in something called the Tendra Project and the T E N D R, probably pronounced tender. And they were looking at why are we seeing this tremendous increase in develop in uh, developmental disorders, psycho behavioral disorders, in children. Um. And they came up with a list of toxic substances that we were being exposed to that were making this difference.
0: And we're going to have to look that up, and we'll put a link on our Facebook page so people can take a look at that. You know, we could talk about this for hours, Dr. Absalom. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today here on The Body Show. and. We'll have to do another discussion about this because it happens way too often that people are getting exposed and there are ways we can avoid it. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on our podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you again next week. We'll talk more about it.